0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast. The done, done, and I'm on to the next one, done, done, and I'm on to the next one. Addition: as the Bengals look to build on lopsided wins over the Raiders and Steelers with a third straight victory over the LA Chargers. Coming up, I'll talk to an old friend who happens to be one of the NFL's best broadcasters, Ian Eagle from CBS. He called that Raiders game two weeks ago and he'll be in the booth again on Sunday. My one-on-one player interview is with T. Higgins as we discuss the Cincinnati three-way of Higgins, Boyd, and Chase. And finally, it's my midweek conversation with Dave Lapham. Have we reached the point where the Bengals offensive line isn't even a point of concern anymore? Lap will weigh in. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play, and here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... Raucous Crowds. I called a UC basketball game at Miami University on Wednesday, and the atmosphere at Millette Hall was electric, largely due to the student section. Sure, they did a frequent chant that was similar to F-U-C. That wasn't exactly classy, but by and large, their energy made for a great environment. And that's what I'm hoping to see and hear this Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Bengals fans have been awesome this year, and I hope you bring the noise against the Chargers. If you can't be there on Sunday and watch the game on TV instead, you'll be listening to one of the best play-by-play announcers in the business, Ian Eagle from CBS. I've known Ian for more than 30 years after we both graduated from Syracuse, and I caught up with him this week buddy ian eagle is in the booth for cbs this week and hopefully that makes the prep a little bit easier since you had the bengals and raiders a couple of weeks ago in las vegas ian what stood out to you from seeing the bengals in person for the first time this year
1: i think the word that comes to mind is dynamic Uh, the fact that they can do it through the air we've seen it time and time again and now the way the ground game is going with mixon Uh, They can beat you in so many different ways. Defensively, they've gotten back to where they were early in the season. And I think this is how it is in the NFL. If you're a fan base and you feel like you have a legitimate standout quarterback on your team, that carries you through for potentially 10 years in this league. So Bengals fans are in a really good place right now because they believe they've got their guy and the team is building around Burrow. It's a very likable group, and you could tell they've got the makings of something special here.
0: Chargers fans feel the same way, and I'm sure CBS was thrilled that this game did not get flexed to primetime. You get the Joe Burrow-Justin Herbert matchup on Sunday. Do you think these two guys, who are only in their second NFL seasons, are already among the top 10 quarterbacks in the
1: NFL? And we we are not known to overhype in the media. That's not something that we ever do. But if you do look at this with a real honest lens, it's hard not to get excited about what these two guys bring to the field. In addition to their physical skills, which have been very obvious, early on, you could tell that both guys belonged. The learning curve was not that steep. When you sit down with them and you talk with them, you can understand why players want to follow them. There are natural leadership abilities there and characteristics. And I can understand why both teams feel very confident moving forward that they've got the right personalities, the right skill sets, and two guys that want to be great And I know that sounds like it should be the obvious and that should be the norm, but it requires the work and it requires a full dedication. And what I've seen with both of these guys is that, just that. They're not in it for the stardom, for the uh, different advertisements that might come their way. They're in it to be great football players, and that's their first priority.
0: Ian Eagle is our guest. Your broadcast partner, Charles Davis, joined us a few weeks ago, and he talked about how it's his feeling that Cincinnati is one of the most fun teams to watch in the
1: NFL. Do you think that that has become the national perception of the Bengals? I think it has. And it's amazing how things can transform so quickly in this league, and it's a reminder what makes the NFL so great. You can make major improvements in one year but it doesn't always necessarily translate for a five to seven year period. You can get lucky with uh, a lighter schedule, easier schedule, a couple of good free agent signings and catch a few breaks and win 10 games and make the playoffs and build some, some real momentum in your market, but to sustain it is much more difficult. And I think the difference with Cincinnati, they don't feel like a one hit wonder It feels like they're really building something here. There is a fun factor with this team. Burrow's presence and his swagger is a big reason why, but you can feel it with the rest of the skill position players. And now defensively, sitting down with Hendrickson a couple of weeks ago, I believe there's real chemistry on this defense. And the jump that we've seen has been real, creating opportunities for the front. The sack numbers are way up. The pressure numbers are way up. They are benefiting on the back end as well because we're seeing some, some real important turnovers and opportunistic moments, and it's, it's three-pronged now. They're young, they're fun, and they're figuring out how to win in this league. That's a dangerous combination.
0: Two weeks ago in the Raiders game that you called, Joe Mixon had 30 carries for 123 yards. He followed it up last week with 165 yards in the Bengals' dominant win over the Steelers. Do you think that this is the
1: best version of Cincinnati with Joe Mixon leading the way? I do, Uh, Dan. What I saw in that Vegas game up close and personal is everything that Coach Taylor laid out, that they want to wear out an opponent. Of course, we know in this league, what's the blueprint? Get a lead. Hold on to the lead. Don't feel the stress and pressure of a tight fourth quarter when you can rely on someone that can milk the clock and really begin to dominate up front. That's exactly how it played out against Las Vegas. Fairly tight game, opportunities there for the Raiders, signs of life in the third quarter, and then lights out. Late in the third, into the fourth, the Bengals did as they pleased. They controlled the line of scrimmage, and Joe Mixon got better as the game went on. Uh, There is this this lost art in the NFL, and and that is running the football with regularity and doing it with a bell cow. Most teams tend to figure out a way to uh, come up with alternative methods because they, they just don't have that physical running attack. Cincinnati has it. It's so obvious when they get it rolling, and I don't see anything stopping that train. Will there be teams that could go outscore the Bengals the rest of the way? Yeah, that, that might be a question, but uh, the physical side of it, what Cincinnati has shown me in the games I've watched on television and now the games I've seen in person, Thursday night radio and the Vegas game, as you mentioned, it's their calling card.
0: Ian Eagle is our guest. He'll do the game on Sunday for CBS. The Bengals are seven and four right now. They're the number one wildcard team in the AFC Baltimore is the only team in the AFC with fewer than four losses. They have three. Who is the team to beat, in your opinion, in the AFC? And where do the Bengals fit in in the playoff picture right now?
1: This has been such a fluid situation. And I certainly have had shifting opinions based on what I've seen in person and what I've recognized around the league. The parity is real, maybe more so than any other year that I can remember, and I've been doing NFL games in some form for 25 years. With that said, Kansas City is still the most dangerous team. The fact that they've gotten their defense at least in order at a point where it's more competitive and they can feel better about what they're doing as a collaborative group, that to me is still the standout. Their offense, as we know, is elite. And while Mahomes has experienced a little bit of humility, he's never been overly cocky. He's never been one to to walk into the meeting and pound his chest when we sit down with the Kansas City Chiefs. But his play has done the talking for his time as a starting quarterback. It's the first time we've seen him look mortal. And he's come out the other side looking very sharp. So to me, Kansas City is still the team. Are there some holes there defensively? Are there weaknesses that teams can take advantage of and expose? Yes, they're not perfect. But they're probably the most complete group right now in the AFC. And the Bengals will see the Chiefs at Paul
0: Brown Stadium right around Christmas In the 25 years that you've been doing the NFL, you've called some memorable Bengals games and moments. I think of the final game in 2017, the Tyler Boyd touchdown catch against Baltimore that knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs.
1: What other Bengals games or moments come to mind for you? I've had a few of them. Uh, Corey Dillon had some huge games when I was doing a bunch of Bengals games during that stretch. Uh, I remember Chad Johnson putting up big numbers with incredible, remarkable catches that only he could really put his signature to. Uh, He had a knack for the dramatic and and certainly brought a a very interesting dynamic and personality to uh, our production meetings. The one that you laid out, just based on what was at stake and little did I know at that moment, and I'm sure for you as well, When you're calling the game, you're locked in on what's happening in the moment. But what was happening with the Buffalo Bills, we later found out, was such a genuine, authentic thing that you hope for in the NFL. When a team wrapped up early, that game went a little bit longer, Cincinnati and Baltimore. The Bills were done. They got the win. They're waiting to see what happens. They're huddled up in the locker room watching it, and to see that reaction the way that that it uh, happened was was pretty incredible. So the domino effect of Dalton to Boyd, the Ravens out the Bills in euphoria in Western New York and the flair for the dramatic, as we know, with Cincinnati and the way that the Buffalo community then supported Andy Dalton, that, that was pretty special. It was just a confluence of, of these events all happening at once in real time that that led to a pretty special moment.
0: Final thing for Ian Eagle. We've got the Bengals and Chargers coming up on Sunday. The most memorable game ever played between these two franchises was the Freezer Bowl in Cincinnati where the Bengals made it to the 1981 Super Bowl. Your partner on TV for many years was Chargers quarterback Dan Fouts. Did he ever say anything to you about the Freezer
1: Bowl? He did. Uh, it's it's not vernacular I could repeat right now, Dan, but uh, let's <laughs> let's just say there were some choice words in there. Dan absolutely said more than once it was the coldest he ever was in his life. And no exaggeration, of course, I would let him speak for himself on this topic, but I do know that there are moments where he can still feel it in his right hand. He was frostbitten. That is not uh, Hyperbole—that—that is not after-the-fact revisionist history. Uh, He felt that for many, many years, and he said to me that there are still days that he feels it. He has such admiration for Ken Anderson and for that group. I know for him, it was probably the most bitter pill he ever had to swallow as a professional. Quarterback in the NFL, he had so many incredible moments. Hall of Fame player, you know, for for people in our age group, Dan was a stud. He was he was a stud quarterback. Uh, but that's one that, uh, unfortunately for him, the way the events unraveled that day, in any other setting, I think they believe they were the best team in the NFL. That they would have handled San Francisco in the Super Bowl. That it was their destiny, but. They just happened to walk into literally a freezer in Ohio on that afternoon.
0: For the record, the Bengals destroyed them in San Diego during the regular season that year. So Dan might be wrong with his perception <laughs> of how things would have played out. But rolling. Really, do you remember what happened the week before, Dan? They were I riding Overtime in Miami it was like seven 7,000 degrees. <laughs>
1: Yeah, things change quite uh, let, a bit Let's bring place. him in. Let's bring him in on the Zoom. Dan, about, so you're there?
0: <laughs> next time, it'll be a three-way Zoom. Ian, this has been great. I always appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Dan, you're the best. Not only is Ian Eagle one of the best broadcasters out there, but he's the father of one of the best young broadcasters in the business. You'll be enjoying the work of Noah Eagle for the next 25 years. Now time for this week's one-on-one player interview as I talk football and eventually a little fashion with Bengals wide receiver T Higgins. T six catches for 114 yards last week meaning that you Jamar and Tyler have all had 100-yard games now this season. Do you know based on your film study of the Steelers going into a game like that that you are likely
2: to get a bunch of targets or doesn't it work that way? I'm pretty sure like every every receiver you know in the league go into a game hoping and thinking that they're going to get a bunch of targets and, you know, completing all those targets and, you know, having a big game. So, of course, yeah, uh, I I thought that, you know, going into the game that I was going to have a big game.
0: The three of you guys are all averaging
2: about four-and-a-half catches per game. What does that say
0: about Joe Burrow, and what's it say about the Bengals' offense?
2: You know, it says a lot about Joe. You know, he spreads the ball out and, you know, he doesn't have, you know, one guy like you know what I'm saying that he doesn't have one guy he has multiple guys that that can go out there and get the job done and you know for as for the offense um we can distribute the ball and we got a bunch of playmakers uh, all over the field whether it be in the backfield with with the running backs or you know the tight ends or with the receivers
0: we're chatting with t higgins i think most people consider the cincinnati three-way of you three guys to be one of the best receiving trios in the nfl here's my question are t higgins Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, the best trio of blocking receivers in the NFL?
2: And <laughs> Turn them to film. You got to turn them to film and watch it. Because, I mean, if these past, these past few games, uh, we were blocking our asses off, you know, for our, for our running backs. And, you know, because once we get them guys going, it ain't going to do nothing but open it up for us. So, you know, uh, by us being a team player and, and going out there and getting those blocks, opened up those runs for Joe and Samaje and, and Chris, Man, it just opens us open us up uh, with the passing game. So it just you know it correlates.
0: Jamar said last week he doesn't like to block, but he knows it's part of the gig. You said after the game on
2: Sunday you love it, not just like it, love it. Why? Uh, You know, it's always been a part of my game ever since high school. You know, just because by me being a you know a big receiver, um, you know I had to implement that into my game. And you know, um, I mean, if you don't block, then you don't get. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the running backs don't get enough love and, and get out there and, and do what they do and get in space. So uh, us receivers, we know, we have key blocks and, you know, I just love doing it. So so after the
0: 31-point win over Pittsburgh, some of the guys said, hey, it's just another step on the journey. We've got bigger things that we're playing for, et cetera. You said, man, it feels good. Why?
2: You know, it, it always feels good to get a win like that. You know, that's a big win. Um, and, then you know, especially over a rival, you know, um, not to me. We don't get that that many opportunities to to win like that, for, especially versus a, a team like Pittsburgh. You know, they've been good, you know, for many years. And I mean, hats off to them. You know, they're they're pretty good team. They just had a rough day. Um, we was the better team that day, and we got out on them. So, we're talking to T.
0: Higgins. I've been doing the Bengals games now for 11 years on the radio, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen a team that, at least to me, seems like it's enjoying the process. As much as this one, you guys seem to be having fun at practice every day, much less on game day. Am I reading that
2: right? Oh yeah, you definitely are. Um, you know, because you gotta have, you gotta have fun when when you put the work in. You know, in practice, uh, whether it be whether it be you know working out after practice. You know, uh, working out in the weight room. Just you gotta have fun, and again, you gotta put joy in the game. And because if you don't, if you're not having fun, then what are you out here for? You know what I'm saying if you haven't fun and you know you plan for your teammates playing for each other, and then the outcome will be good as you can see um, we're we're turning this program around this this organization and and um, hopefully we can keep it going.
0: You got a home game this week against the Chargers. the Chargers' secondary features Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the NFL. What stands out when you watch him on tape?
2: man, he's a dog you know um, he's he's one of those. One of those safety that's gonna come down and hit you. He don't care who you are. Uh, actually, he's a uh, he's a great player, man. It's a long good time, good friend of mine. Uh, just just by me knowing him, I just I just know that that he's you know with him, especially with him having that injury last year, setback. Uh, I know he didn't like that, so uh, I'm just glad to see that he's out there on the field making plays. And but he's a, he's a he's an outstanding player and and he's a playmaker. All right, as you
0: can probably tell, I'm not exactly a man of style and fashion. But you had quite the look after the game last week. You had North Face overalls on. Now, normally we think of that as like ski gear and hiking gear. But these were North Face Gucci overalls, plus beautiful gold chains, matching hat. How much energy do you put into your weekly look?
2: It depends. You know, sometimes I, I come in, and I, I have a day where I just want to, you know, just dress casual and 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 be comfortable. Uh, I wouldn't say that the overalls wasn't comfortable because it, it definitely was. <laughs> but sometimes I, just want, I want to come in and you know have a you know be style be styled and um, come in looking looking good. You because know, you look good, you play good. So <laughs> uh, I think this week I'm gonna come in with some with something else that that that's pretty crazy. But we'll see. So is
0: it competitive among you guys for who looks the best?
2: I told him at the beginning of the season that I got the best drip out of us receivers. So, I mean, as for now, I think I'm winning. But, I mean, we'll let the, we'll let the people tell.
0: Big thumbs up from me last week. I thought that looked sharp. And uh, the game obviously was awesome. Congratulations. Best of luck this week. Thanks for your time. Thank you. T told reporters before the season that he put a sign that says 1K on his mirror this year, signifying his goal of having a 1,000-yard season. His stats took a hit when he missed a couple of games with a shoulder injury early in the season, but he's up to 560 yards with six games to go, meaning he would have to average 73 yards a game over the final six to get there. That is exactly what T has averaged over the last five weeks. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autograph merchandise, and money can't buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores. Now time to discuss the latest Bengals news and Sunday's matchup against the Chargers with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. That was last week's final score, 41 to 10. A bigger statement about how good the Bengals are,
3: or how bad the Steelers are. You know, I, I'm a believer in the in the axiom, because I've been there, <laughs> in, in situations where it just kind of spirals out of control, um, and I am a big believer in, you're never as good as you think you are, or never as bad as you think you are. You're probably somewhere in between, and I, I think the, the two franchises aren't that far apart. It's not, you know, every time they played, it wouldn't be a 30-point differential kind of thing, but... Uh, you know the, the key the key is when you when you have an opportunity to put your foot on the gas and, and bury an opponent, you got to do it and the Bengals did it they really did it and uh, so I, it, there, there is no doubt though that it, it's it's past the crossing point where one one's ascending and one's declining the, the 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 Pittsburgh Steelers are on the back back end of that curve they're in a, in the decline mm-hmm. and the Bengals are on the positive side of their ascension in my opinion and it's all you have to do is look at the quarterbacks i mean look what joe burrow did the rushing touchdown he had and watching ben was like watching a guy who needs ben gay i mean you know it's like he could he couldn't really move all that well you know so it's his his arm strength is not what it was his athleticism is is nowhere near what it was and and joe burrow's Arm strength and everything's ascending. You know, I mean, he's still he's still in the on the uh, on the come, as they say.
0: I unintentionally aged Joe Burrow last week. By the way, on our most recent podcast, he is 24, turning 25 next week, not 25 turning 26. So I apologize for that mistake. In the last two weeks, Joe Mixon has averaged 29 carries for 144 yards. Is the Joe Mixon-driven offense? what the Bengals
3: need to be for the rest of this year you know I I think that teams are going to have to account for that it wouldn't surprise me if the Chargers come out eight in the box and say you're not doing to us what you did to the Pittsburgh Steelers and fine Joe spread them out and slice them up and then if they you know go small to uh, try to uh, adjust to that, you know, bunch them up and run at them. I mean, that's the thing is they can, they can do both. They're not a prisoner of either of their ways to attack a defense. So um, that versatility, I think, is big. Uh, and, and, and to me, it was just it was amazing to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought when the Bengals had difficulty stopping the run in the past, they were catching blockers. And look to me, that's what Pittsburgh was doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of attacking people and getting off blocks, they were catching them. And just getting ridden out of there. I mean, they displaced that front seven. The Bengals did over and over and over again laterally, knocking guys to the ground. Guys were on the ground, can't make tackles when you're on the ground. Um, you know, driving linebackers, Bush get driven ten yards down the field by Quentin Spain. You know, it's like, wow, that's that's just that that's that's mind boggling. So I don't think you're going to see that happen on as you know a regular basis and that you're going to have to be able to do both bottom line is where the Bengals want to go you're going to have to be able to do both we felt like when we were good in 1981 that we could run the ball on Pete Johnson against anybody but when they made adjustments that were too tempting it's like you know shoot we got tons of weapons let's throw it let's throw it And, and and then just we had a had an answer for everything that they were trying to do and if you executed it properly you find yourself in pretty good shape. But, I mean, Joe, Joe Mixon is such a weapon. He, in, in my mind, I'm, I'm a proponent of balance, you know. I mean, I think uh, don't force the balance, but over a period of time, doesn't even have to be an entire season, over a period of five games, be pretty balanced in your play selection and hopefully the results of that play selection. That's That's the perfect world right there. Seems like every few
0: weeks I ask for your opinion about the offensive line. Here's my question this week: Have we reached the point where it's not even really a big concern anymore?
3: I think I think we're getting there. You know, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know when I when I watch them from the end zone, like an end zone shot, it reminds me of uh, Jim McNally w- watching their techniques. They step with the exact same foot. Their hand placement is exactly the same. It's like watching. 300 pound June Taylor dancers. You know, I mean they're totally choreographed in total sync. It's 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 amazing to watch them. And that that, that is repetition, repetition, repetition that formulates that and builds that. And man, they they're executing at a really high level now and when you are balanced, you know, pass protection is is so much easier. It's so much less difficult when, you know, a defensive player has to consider that you're going to be able to run the football some and getting in down in distances where you know, you're know you able to run or pass the football and being in a game where the score dictates you're able to run or pass the football. You know That's the big thing is when they're operating like they're operating and they get the big leads that they get, the defense really doesn't have to stop think as uh, heavily about stopping the run. They know they're going to have to throw to catch up, and the Bengals have been in that situation. That's a bad situation to be in. If you're an offensive lineman, terrible. can't be any worse because these guys are really skilled athletically, and they can rush the passer, all of them. So the the game itself, the you know, each game takes on its different um, complexion, ebbs and flows, who has a command. And this one, it was easy. It was easy to stay with the running game. They just, you know, they're 31 points at halftime. Mm-hmm and in building up to that 31 point halftime lead a lot of it was just pounding them in the running game it's not always going to be that way it's not like you can say okay well we'll take that and we'll just apply it to the next week because these coordinators are too good the coaches are too good and and you have to uh, you always have to be able to adjust and and deal with the ebb and flow and the chess match is perpetual you know, always uh it, it never ends in checkmate you know it always <laughs> always ends up you know, check and somebody gets out of checkmate, and you move on, and, and then you go to another week. So it's crazy, except for Super Bowl Sunday. That's the only time you get a checkmate. That's right. When that one, when, when that, uh, when that game ends, when the final snap of that football game ends, the final whistle blows, checkmate for somebody.
0: So for the first seven weeks of the season, the defense was great. Then for two weeks against the Jets and Browns, it wasn't very good. Now for the last two weeks, it's been terrific again. Anything jump out in the last couple of weeks?
3: You know, I, I, I think the the fact that uh, the complementary football we're talking about was so good. You know, I, I think that's a, I think that's a big factor. I really do. I mean, I think I think when you're when you have a football team that has the potential to be as good as this football team, they feed off each other offensively and defensively. And I, I think that um, you know offensively, I, I think the because I can remember this when, when you know we had a good team. And when offenses started, you know, spanking our defense, I was in shock as a teammate. I'm on the sideline like, what? Man, I didn't expect this. I didn't I didn't think this team was going to be able to do this to us. And you can't do that because now it's starting to affect how you play a little bit. Now you might feel, you know, like a tremendous sense of urgency. You don't want to panic by any stretch, but it's like, oh, man, didn't expect this. We better we better step it up. We got to, you know, we got to go double time here. Well, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. That's the, that's the worst reaction. So, um, yeah, I, it, it – it's such a such a team sport i mean everything's so codependent on the other um you know it's 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 crazy i, I i'm very interested very interested to see uh how, how this football team how quickly they can continue to make adjustments i think that's the biggest thing that they've grown into the coaching staff making good adjustments getting feedback from players coming off the field and making them immediately you know immediate adjustments both offensively and defensively. I think that the, that the rapport and the chemistry between player to player, coach to coach, coach to player, player to coach, all of it is, is getting better and better and better. And I think as a result, they're going to be able to play at a higher level.
0: The Chargers are coming to town this week. The first ever matchup between the first pick in last year's draft, Joe Burrow, and the sixth pick in last year's draft, Justin Herbert. They're only in their second season's.
3: Are these guys already top 10 NFL quarterbacks, in your opinion? I mean, I think, I think they're, they're knocking on the door if they're not. I mean, I think they, they can be. Um, man, Herbert has such immense athletic ability. I've said this before a couple of times. You know, when, when I hear Drew Brees marvel at the guy's arm talent, in that the, the, the ball, when he throws the football at such a tight spiral with such velocity, it picks up speed as it's like 10 yards down the field. He said, I, I can actually see the ball start to accelerate. And He goes, that's that explosiveness is rare. And he, he does have that kind of arm talent. Honestly, stuff I've seen here lately, um, <laughs> he I don't think he's trying to throw the ball through their chest, but he throws it so hard, they, get, they lead the league and drop passes. I mean, he throws a hot potato, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ball bounces; it gets into the pads and bounces around. That's going to be a big key in my mind. The Bengals handling tips, handling you know balls that are dropped when interceptions are there—an opportunity they have to capitalize on that. Um, and that. That's that's I guess probably a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. You know, you maybe learn to take a little bit off of it, but that's that's a that's an interesting dynamic a little bit with it with a quarterback and, and receivers. Uh, you know, getting into make, – make him pay for those kind of things. Make him pay for tips. Make him pay for overthrows because his, his arm's so powerful. Sometimes he gets in a situation where his release point, if it's off a little bit, he'll get an overthrow because his arm is so strong. And you got to take advantage of those of those kind of things. But I think I think he he can hurt you with his feet. I mean, he's 6'5", 240, 235, 240, runs 4'6", or better. I mean, he's got some freakish ability. And Joe's sneaky sneaky with his movement skills. That touchdown run shows it. Making Fitzpatrick, tough guy to do that to in space, and Joe did it to him, froze him pretty good. Um, and and I do think both of them are very, very intelligent guys, but I, I do think Joe's football IQ is he just seems in such total control all the time. And I, I think that Herbert is maybe still – where you can get him, not panic, but you can get him to be um, in too much of a hurry, I guess, whereas Joe always seems so composed and total control. I think Herbert is still, flusters maybe too strong a word, but maybe uh, get him concerned a little bit, you know. Um, Get him uncomfortable. That's that's a big key. It looks, to me, so difficult for defenses to get Joe Burrow to look uncomfortable. He's got the same face all the time. Whereas Herbert, I think, you know, shows a little bit more of, I wasn't expecting this, I haven't seen this. I, th- I think that's the uh, uh, maybe the final difference between those two guys, and, and a lot of it's just pure makeup and personality and that sort of thing.
0: The Chargers are dead last in the NFL at stopping the run. They're giving up 145 rushing yards per game. That's basically what Joe Mixon has averaged
3: for the last two weeks. Is that the biggest key on Sunday? I think it's a huge factor, um, and like I said, I, I just I'm, I'm not sure that the that the uh, Chargers want to play the slow death, you know, and, and just <laughs> just let the, the the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line and Joe Mixon just grind them, put them in a meat grinder, and and score and take time off the clock and build a lead, and and Herbert's doesn't he's not getting anywhere near the number of possessions, and he has to force the football and all of those kind of things. But then you look at it and say, uh, boy. If you, if you don't load the box up, you know, they're, they're going to pound you. If you do load the box up, they can make big plays against you. <sighs> yeah, it's I, – I, I do think that is – that's going to be in my – I'm very interested to see how they come out to start the game because people are going to be, oh, man, I can't believe they're not running Joe Mixon. Oh, they got, you know, seven and dropping an eighth into the box late which they do do, they do try to disguise things. It's going to be interesting to see at the snap of the football how many people the Chargers actually have in the box at the snap of the football to try to handle Joe Mixon in the running game. Because it might look a little different pre-snap and then post-snap after the snap of the football. It could it could look uh, the opposite of what you, you might have seen in some situations there. But that that's obviously a, a, a major concern. The thing is, with Herbert... Herbert leads the National Football League. They've got six wins, five fourth-quarter comebacks. Mm. His five fourth-quarter comebacks lead the NFL. So no lead is safe with this guy unless it's a ridiculous lead like the Bengals have had. But if you're up seven, ten points, even 14, you know, a couple of scores, that's not necessarily safe with a guy of his, his skill set. So that's going to be a, an interesting dynamic to, to take, uh, take and follow a little bit too.
0: I think most people listening to this know that you were the starting left guard on the Bengals' first Super Bowl team in 1981. You were the starting right guard on the team that had the best winning percentage in team history in 1975 when the Bengals went 11-3. Do you see any similarities to those two great teams, two of the all-time best in Bengals history, and what is developing right now?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I can, Dan. I, I can see um, in in both of those – seasons we had Kenny Anderson a quarterback and I see a lot of similarities with what with, with Kenny Anderson brought to the table and what Joe Burrow brings to the table I see a lot of similarities both uh, physical makeup uh, mental composition all of all of those kind of things and and I also see a uh, we really like I talked about before the relationship between the players were very close. The coaching staff was very close. But then the relationship between coaching staff and players was very close as well. And, and does that happen by winning, or does that cause the winning to happen? That's the you know chicken or the egg big question. But no matter how it occurred, it did take place those seasons, and it built as the season went on. And I can vividly remember on uh, Wednesday morning we'd come in, and Lindy Infani was our offensive coordinator in, in 1981, and Bill Walsh was the guy that was shaping the offense in 1975. And I can remember we'd come in and be like, oh, what do we got now? Oh, what are they put together? I mean, these guys were brilliant, and it was like, oh, who who's going to be the featured uh, deal today, uh, uh, this week? What what, what personnel grouping? Oh, this one looks like it's tight end oriented. Oh man, this one oh, we're going to crush people with Pete. I mean, it was it was like. We we couldn't wait. It was like, man, we didn't even want a day off. We just wanted to get right back to it. And I can see that with this group a little bit, like that. I, I think they're starting to feel, you know, that type of uh, that type of a bond and chemistry, um, the players with Lou and all of the uh, defensive coaches, and and then you know, offensively, the same way with all the coaches that are putting together game plans. I mean, it's it's th- that I can remember that part of it. Somet- when when the preparation for a game feels like it's not a grind it's not like oh man we gotta do it's like oh man i can't wait to get back to it then you know you got something cooking and i kind of sense that that's that's where this team is they can't wait for not only the next game they can't wait for the next week to prepare for that next game because they have so much confidence in what the coaches are presenting to them and they know that if they fine-tune it during the week and go out and execute they're going to be in good shape
0: there were a lot of great moments last week. The most amusing moment was seeing the choreographed end zone celebration featuring Joe Mixon and his offensive lineman. My final question for this week's podcast, would a young Dave Lapham have enjoyed doing an end zone dance with his fellow <laughs> offensive lineman after a Pete Johnson touchdown?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have liked to you know <laughs> – Big boys always feel like they got a little rhythm, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would have I would have enjoyed that. I mean, the celebrations have have gotten to be almost like a an additional show. You know, it's it's like uh, it's a, it's a, a side act to what's going on during the course of the football game. And man, you have to you have to start to be real creative now. It's uh, it's taken on a uh, almost a life of its own. But yeah, I think like Jonah Williams said, you know, it's like yeah, you feel like you want to be part of that, and, and it is. It's uh, you, you might you it, it it might take you well beyond your comfort level, but you're doing it because you're part of something bigger than just you know your concern uh, for your, your self embarrassment. You know you're just you're out there just having fun with a bunch of guys, and that's that's what, when I looked at it. I'm like, well, you know, some of them have a little rhythm, some of them <laughs> don't. But yeah, you you feel like uh, yeah, go out on that dance floor, cut a little rug. That's what that's what. Uh, that's so what those guys were doing, and that was uh, that was that was fun to see. And I'll tell you what, Joe Mixon. What say what you want, but that guy is a lightning rod for the energy, enthusiasm, all the sort of things that the team feeds off of. He's the energy source, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's the he's the son of the solar system. You know, he's the epicenter for that energy, man. He really is. He's something else.
0: I'm an excellent dancer. At a wedding, the minimum <laughs> of three drinks in me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Emphasis on minimum, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. I I um, I used to I used to like to uh, like to cut the rug a little bit. Um, Lynn accused me of, of liking to cut it too much. I guess over the years, but hmm. uh, yeah, I, it, it's uh, it's it's fun uh, to watch guys who have such great footwork. On a football field, sometimes it carries it over to the dance floor. Other times, it looks like two left feet and uh, ten big toes. That's going to do
0: it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.